Good morning, sons and daughters of the Most High God. I guess you're wondering why I changed the seating this morning. Well, you're going to have to wait till after the message. <laughs> and then I'll tell you. But you'll be thinking about it for the whole time. So I appreciate you working with me this morning. And I know that your chair got moved, but that's okay. Uh, uh, it's still blue. The one you're sitting in is still blue, and it's still got padding, so it's all good. So last week, uh, I introduced a concept for us. It's not a new concept. It's obviously been around since God invented it. But the concept is fortitude. Fortitude. And <clears throat> there's two ways to spell it. There's the right way, and then there's my way. And so the right way, of course, fortitude means uh, to have courage and strength in the face of a challenge. That's how we think of the word fortitude. But uh, I created a word called fortitude, spelled F-O-U-R-titude, fortitude, thinking there's four things. There's just four things that are important, four main things that are important. And I talked about how, uh, as Christians, we've kind of turned Christianity into 25 or 30 things, or maybe 100 things. And, you know, you go to this church and there's 25 different things. You go to that church, there's 18 different things. And, but, but, but what's the heart of Christianity? What's the heart? What, what was God's original design for us as sons and daughters of the Most High God? And so that's what we talked about last week. <clears throat> I want to continue talking about that this week. Fortitude, fortitude. F-O-U-R-titude, fortitude. <coughs> what are the four things? So, you know, when you make lemonade... You really, need, you really need four things, right? You need lemons, you need water, you need sugar, and you need ice, right? If you put anything else in there, you just mess it up. It's just, it's just not good at that point. It's, just, it's not real lemonade. Four things. God, I believe, throughout the Scripture has taught us that there's just four things that are important. Four things. And it's not about coming to church. It's not about lining up in chairs. Not about singing songs. It's not about taking up an offering. All those things that we come to do as church, it's, it's just not about that. Not those things are bad. I'm not saying that. But what are the four things that we're supposed to do, supposed to be, supposed to think about all day or all week? Well, I want to take us back to the beginning, the book of Genesis. Genesis, that's the first book in the Bible. Uh, page three, if that helps you. That's what mine is, page three. <clears throat> Genesis, and uh, <clears throat> I want to read one verse in chapter 1, and then we'll jump to chapter 2. So Genesis 1, 27. I created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves on the ground. And then chapter 2, beginning in verse 4. Uh, this is the account of the heavens and earth when they were created. When the Lord God made the earth and the heavens, no shrub of the field yet appeared on the earth, and no plant of the field yet sprung up. For the Lord God had sent rain on the earth, had not sent rain on the earth yet, like he did this morning. And there was no man to work the ground, but streams came up from the earth and watered the whole surface of the ground. The Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground, and he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man came, became a living being. Now the Lord God had planted 
a garden in the east of Eden. We planted a garden this year. It's a lot of work, right? It's a lot of work to plant a garden. And so in addition to God creating the earth, he then planted a garden in the east of Eden. Uh, Eden must have been a fairly large area because there's several rivers that run through it. But somewhere in the east of it, he planted this garden. <clears throat> and there he put the man that he had formed. And the Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye, good for food in the middle of the garden, were the tree of life and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. A river watering the garden flowed from Eden. From there it was separated into four headwaters. The name of the first was Pison. It winds through the entire land of Havilah, where there is gold. The gold of that land is good. Aromatic resin and onyx are there also. The name of the second river is Gihon. It winds through the entire land of Cush. The name of the third river is Tigris. It runs along the east side of Asher. And the fourth river is the Euphrates. Now the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat of it, you will surely die. The Lord God said, it is not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the beasts of the field and all the birds of the air. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them. And whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds of the air, and all the beasts of the field. Interesting contrast here. We see in the first chapter or so, God calling things into being by speaking it. He spoke things into being. He named it. That's a sun. That's a moon. That's the earth. That's water and so forth. And now he gives man. He gives man the chance to step into that same divine role in naming the animals. You, you name the animals. You didn't create them, but you get to name them. We still have that same divine command, you and I, to name things, to speak life. The Bible says the tongue has the power of what? Life and death, right? So we still have the power to speak life over situations, your own situation, someone else's situation. We have the power to speak life. We still have that same divine prerogative that God gave us. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. And the man said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman. For she was taken out of man. For this reason, a man will leave his father and his mother and be united to his wife, and they will become one flesh. And the man and his, life, man and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. This is God's original design for us. This is God's original design for us. is to live in his presence, to live with him, and to live with one another uh, in peace and love. And to do these four things. And so last week we talked about the four things. It's, it's, it's real easy. Love God, right? Love yourself. Love your neighbor, that is love others. And love his creation. Those are the four things. <clears throat> so why do we get together as, we call them churches. Why do we get together in a building? Why do, we, why do we spend time coming to this building, or any building for that matter, if this is all God had planned for? it? It's because we need to get together to encourage one another. And we need the opportunity to love one another. You know, you can, you can take your phone right now and you, can, and you can text somebody and tell them, I love you. 
I'm thinking about you. I'm praying for you. You can do that. But when you're standing in front of somebody and you're looking in the eye and saying, Mary, I want to pray with you. Will you let me pray with you right now? That's a whole different level. I got a text this morning. One of our church families, their little baby is sick this morning with the fever of some kind. So they're not going to be here this morning. They said, we really miss not being there. And I texted them and said, we're praying for you. And sure enough, we had some of us gather right here. And so we prayed right then. And that was great. What would be great is all of us showed up at their house and prayed over that little baby and watched her get healed, right? Right? It's, it's, it's the flesh. It's being in the flesh with somebody. It's being near somebody. It's being close to somebody. That's, that's God's plan for us. That's why we gather in a building. It's to come together to see, okay, I'm looking at Brenda right now, and is, is Brenda really okay? And I can look at Brenda and say, she's really okay. She's going to be a grandma. That's a good thing. <laughs> she's got that grandma look. Right? I couldn't see that over a text, could I? Hey, Brenda, you okay? Yeah, I'm okay. But I can tell Brenda's okay. That's why we gather. And it's important that we get together and do that. But the heart of what God had planned for us, his original design for us, was to live as Adam and Eve. So let's look at that very quickly. So he gave, he gave them three commands. He said, be fruitful and multiply. Okay, that means have babies, take care of them, raise them up. He said, subdue the earth. And then he gave another qualifying statement in 2.15. He said, to work it and take care of it. And in the Hebrew, it means to serve or to keep, to serve. So we're to be servants of creation. That is, we're to be servants of our yards, servants of our trees. And we, we're to serve them. That's, that's what it says in the Hebrew. We're to serve them. We're to work it and take care of it. We're to look over it. We're to guard it with great care. Is how it would be said in the Hebrew. So be fruitful, have babies, raise them up, subdue the earth, take care of the earth. And thirdly, uh, don't eat of that tree over there. Don't eat of the tree of good and evil. And if you could translate what it means to be don't eat of the tree of good and evil, that doesn't make a whole lot of sense to us, just like it says. What it means is don't assume that you know what is best for you. Don't assume that you know what is best for you. That's what, the, that's what the tree of good and evil is about. Don't assume that you know what is best for you. God is saying that, and then he's saying, ask me what's best for you. Ask me what is best for you. Don't assume that you know. And that's what God was saying, look, You've got the whole garden here. You've got all these things you can do. You can, you can enjoy life, and, and it's going to be great. Just don't assume you're in charge. Come talk to me. And so what God was saying was, just obey me. Just obey me. Uh, so four things here. We're, we're to love God. So the first thing is we're to obey his commands. Jesus said in John chapter 15, verse 9, he said, I have obeyed all of my father's commands. Now, let me ask you a question. Have you obeyed all of your earthly father's commands? Most of the time. Most of the time? Okay. Anybody get to a certain point in your life as a, maybe a 14-year-old where you rebelled against all your father's commands? Any, anybody feeling that? Okay, right. Maybe a little bit. Maybe a little bit. Okay. So, um, so we all know what it means to rebel against the father's command, right? <clears throat> To love God means simply to obey his commands. If, 
if you love your father or your mother, your earthly father or your mother, you're going to obey their commands. Now, we're all going to test that, right? Right, we're all going to test that. But God is saying, hey, if you love me, obey my commands. Jesus said in John chapter 14, verse 23, if you love me, you'll obey my commands. He said it again in John chapter 14, verse 15. If you love me, you'll obey my commands. First John 5, 3 says, this is love for God. That is to obey his commands. Jesus said in Matthew 28, 20, he said, go you therefore and teach all nations, disciple all nations, baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And teach them to what? Obey my commands. Right? So it's really important to obey God's command. And if Adam and Eve had obeyed that one command, don't assume that they know everything. Ask me if you want to know something. Then we wouldn't be where we are today. But they didn't. They rebelled, as all of us have done in our lives. We've rebelled against our earthly father, our earthly mother. We've rebelled against our heavenly father. But the more we fall in love with God, the less we want to disobey him. Second thing, fortitude. Live a life with fortitude. Love God, love self. Love self. There's a whole book in the Bible called Proverbs. And it's all about wisdom. And the essence of wisdom, the more, the essence of wisdom and learning about wisdom, uh, the essence of it is you love yourself, the more wisdom you have. The more wisdom you receive, shows how much you love yourself or demonstrates how much you love yourself or helps you love yourself. All three of those are involved in that. When you read, when you read Proverbs, it looks like, okay, there's some really good things here. But what it's all about is if you follow these guidelines, your, your life will be better. You will create a better life for you and a better life for those around you. It doesn't mean that bad things won't happen. Uh, the Bible says the rain falls on the just and the unjust. It falls on the good and the bad. Life just happens to all of us. It's not what it's saying. But what it's saying is you will create a better life for you and a better life for those around you if you follow the path of wisdom. So there are a lot of ways to love self. We talked about some last week. This is one this week. Loving yourself means wisdom. Wisdom is the decision to obey God's commands. And if you obey God's commands, it will be love to yourself. You will do good things for yourself. It will help you, in other words. You won't get in as much trouble, let's put it that way, right? So love God, love self. The third thing is to love others, is to love others. I think most of us are pretty good at this. I think most of us, uh, we're in a store, we're down the street, uh, we're with some people, and they have a need. I think most of us are pretty good at loving other people. I really do. I think all of you are really good at loving other people. I've seen you, I've heard your testimonies. I've watched how you've interacted in this building and outside of this building. I think we've got that. But we're called to love others. The deepest love we can ever demonstrate to anybody is to tell them about Jesus Christ. The deepest love we can ever express to anybody is to tell them about Jesus Christ. Now, we know love is a verb. It means doing something for someone, but also it means telling someone something. So here's what I know. All of you know somebody, all of you know at least one person that is going to die and go to hell if they don't trust in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Some of them are your family members. Some of them you work with. Some of them you've known for 20 years. And they've just continued to reject Jesus. The greatest love we can show or tell anybody 
is to tell them about Jesus or to show them how Jesus would act. You know, a lot of times we need to witness without words. You've heard that, right? Witness without words. Where we're, we live a life in front of someone, and eventually they look at us and say, look, I've been watching you for 10 years, and you've been so consistent about following God. Will you tell me what that's about? Will you tell me what that's about? And we get a chance to tell them about Jesus Christ. It's the greatest act of love that we do for anybody is to tell them about Jesus. Because people without Jesus are going to die and go to hell. Now, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul says, Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, knowing the judgment of God, we try to persuade people to come to Jesus. We try to persuade them, knowing the fear of God. And then he goes on a little further and says, because it's Christ's love that compels me to share the gospel. It's Christ's love that compels me to share the gospel. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, read it. And then he says, we've been given the ministry of reconciliation. We've been given the you've been given the ministry to go help people be reconciled to God. And tell them God loves you. He's not mad. He just wants you to come home. That's the gospel. In a nutshell, God loves you. He's not mad. Please come home. So, live a life of fortitude. F-O-U-R, fortitude. Love God, love self, love others, and lastly, Love creation. Love creation. Take care of it. Now, there are a lot of things that you can read on the Internet about taking care of our country. You know, there's a whole global warming thing. I'm not even going to go there, okay? But there are some things that we can do. If you cut a tree down in this yard, in your yard over here, then if you can plant another tree, replace that tree, right? It's, it's real simple. Plant a bush. Plant some flowers. Do something for creation to take care of it, guard it, and protect it. But there are things that we can do in our house as well. Some of the chemicals you use, cleaning your house, are harmful to nature. Here's a thought for you. Whatever you clean your bathtub with goes down the drain pipe, right? It goes to the sewage treatment plant. You ever been to a sewage treatment plant? Everybody needs to go at least once, right? You ought to see what happens there. And then it gets treated, and then it gets sent down a river. It, it, there's no holding tank, right? It gets sent down a river. That river goes down to the next city. Right? Somebody else does the same thing, cleans out their tub, and then that goes down to the next city. Right? It's a never-ending cycle. So somebody upstream from us cleaned their tub out this week with really harsh chemical, and it's in our drinking water now. So there are things we can do in our house. We can look at the label and say, boy, this says it's poisonous to everything. Maybe I don't need to be using that anymore as a cleaning supply and they go find something that's more environmentally friendly to clean your, your tub with right when I was uh, younger I worked for a land surveying company and <clears throat> we uh, Winchester and Associates it's a great great boss just an amazing boss and we were tasked with surveying this piece of property down behind the sewer treatment plant because the man who owned the land behind the sewage treatment plant, all of his trees had died. And he had filed a lawsuit against the city saying, you've killed all my giant hardwoods, and I want to be compensated for that. And so uh, the boss told us where it was and what we had to do. And, and so we, we get down there, and we have to measure across this river. It's not a big river, but a, a wide creek where the water's coming out after it's been treated. And so we, we get a boat, 
and uh, we get on this bank and we take a boat across. We had a long chain, a measuring device that you measure. It's made out of metal, 300 foot long. And so we're having to measure along. We're having to put iron pins. You'll appreciate this, James. They were 10 feet tall rebar, okay? So it's like you can carry one of those in and you're, you're a happy guy, right? Well, Milan, you could carry four at a time, but for me it was one. It was, it was a chore to carry one in. So um, we had to set those out every 100 feet so that the, everybody could come look and see whose trees had died and whose trees didn't. And so we, uh, we're in this boat. We're measuring across. We get to the other side that looks like land. There's trees growing. There's logs laying on the ground. And my buddy, David, who was surveying, was in the front of the boat, so his job was to get out first and pull the chain so we can make a measurement. I'm in the back paddling. And so he steps out on what he thinks is land and goes up to here. It was a bog of years, <laughs> of years, sewage treatment plant. And so uh, he climbs up on the log, and we, we realize at this point, this might not be the kind of job we want to have the rest of our lives. <laughs> it, was, it was terrible. Uh, I would come home every day and stand on the back porch. Debbie and I were just married. I'd come on every day and get on the back porch and un unrobe, uh, disrobe, <laughs> because she wouldn't let me in the house with it. And, uh, yeah, yeah, wash them in a bucket outside. It was interesting. The way we drove those 10-foot rebar into the ground was like this. Just put our weight on it till it got to a certain point, tied ribbon around it. There are things you can do in your house, <laughs> chemicals that you can get rid of, right? And use something that's less harsh on our environment. So let's live a life of fortitude. Love God, right? Love yourself. God made you. You're, you're amazing. The psalmist says, I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Thank you. you. You did a great job here, God. Thank you for making me the way that I am. Rejoice in that. Love yourself. Not in a narcissistic way, but truly love yourself. Love the creation that you are. Love others. Find somebody to love. Go look for somebody to pray for. Right? Love others. And for those who don't want your love, that's fine. There's 7 billion people out there. Somebody needs you to care for them. So do a good job with that. And then love creation. Find a way to be nice, to take care of and guard with great care, as it says in the Hebrew, great care. Love with great care of this creation. Live a life of fortitude. Let's pray. Father, I just thank you so much for this day. Thank you for the rain outside. Father, thank you for your presence inside. You're always with us. You never leave us or forsake us. Thank you, Father. Father, help us to live a life of fortitude, power in the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, I just pray you'd come right now and teach us, help us understand how today we can live a life of fortitude and how we can do that this week. Just come and reveal it to us. Now, Father, if we share communion, we share it as a commitment.
to love you, to love your son, to love the Holy Spirit. So we celebrate that. We say thank you, Father. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for being in our lives. For it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.